0: 의 고민을
1: Welcome to the Punks in Pubs podcast. My name is Liam Bird. I hope you're all well. Uh, it's been a it's been a rough couple of weeks, hasn't it? It seems that the world has changed again um, in 2020. It seems like it seems to be changing every month. The last time we spoke, the, there have been protests for... Uh, the death of george floyd and as well as the persecution and um, harassment of the black community all over the world not just in america i know uh, i've spoke about this before um also in the uk with um, drug charges and stop search i'm not going to go into it too much because i did a podcast early in the week whereabouts i kind of gave my thoughts and also gave you some links on uh, people organizations and people that you can go uh, support or retweet or whatever for communities on the ground as well as protesters who have been arrested. So uh, like I said, I'm not going to dwell too much on that subject matter. If you want to hear my thoughts, go and listen to the eight-minute chat that I had. Uh, I think I did it on Wednesday. But I will just quickly stress that the media are going to stop giving a shit soon enough. Uh, It's just what the media does. And I think it's vitally important that our community, a predominantly white community, continue to educate ourselves and also support Uh, organizations that are trying to bring about a more equal society so I will continue to uh, push this cause I'm going to try and get more black and diverse voices on this podcast uh, because that's how I can that's how I can support it because I've got a platform I'm going to use it Um, if you guys have also a podcast or a webzine or whatever whatever you can do um, to to make sure that more black voices and, and Voices of a more ethnic community from wherever you are is raised. Try and do you a bit. Uh, I don't want to preach too much, but there you are. Uh, right, we're going to crack on with episode fifty-seven. Right, episode fifty-seven is a long one, so I'm going to keep this introduction very short. So, but I want to give you a bit of a background. Back in episode forty-five, I interviewed a man called Jay Kier, who is a member of the punk co-op group punk ethics back then i spoke to him about loads of subject matters but uh, one in particular was punks against sweatshops it was a project they has been working on for quite a while but um, he had an idea of doing a benefit show for people who are garment workers uh, so we can all raise money uh, to help them unionize and bring about better pay and improve working conditions. Back when I spoke to him he had this idea of a few people who he wanted to play the show but he also asked if I would be interested in conducting the Q&A with the people that he was going to book before the the show started. The opportunity to, to talk on the 100 Club stage was something that I wasn't going to pass up, so I said, fucking yeah. On that bill, uh, eventually on the bill were uh, bands and acts like Oi Paloi, Petrol Girls, uh, Steve Ignorant, who you will know from Crass, and as well as In Evil Hour, uh, there was also a special guest planned, but obviously... COVID 19 put a big fuck you on that happening. So obviously it got cancelled sadly. But Jay still wanted the QA to go ahead and he decided that we're going to move it online. He also managed to bring in members of Dream Nails and one of my favourite bands, propaganda uh, to talk about the taboo subject matter of where do we get our merch. So that's exactly what happened. The interviews were conducted via Zoom by the power of the internet and then broadcast live on facebook Uh, so on the panel was george from Propagandy, steve igran as i said you will know him either through his solo work or through his work with crass uh, ren from petrol girls deke from oi polloi janie from dream nails and gareth and al of in evil hour i would like to give up my personal thanks for uh for all the people involved in in the q a for uh being polite and courteous and uh yeah it was just I think just a really interesting interview whereabouts i I definitely learned something, and I think you guys will too uh so what can you expect on this chat? Well, uh we talk about workers' rights, band merch, and where we get it covid nineteen and the impact on the music and garment industry, as well as we take a nimble look within the punk community i won't be back as this podcast is a solid one hour 40 Uh, maybe do it in two chunks Uh, but all the information you're going to need on how to support punk ethics and the punks against sweatshop campaign can be found in the program description of this episode i know it's been a heavy few weeks guys but we will be back in a couple of weeks and with some light-hearted scar Till then enjoy episode 57 The Punks Against Sweatshops Q&A. Be well and I will talk to you soon.
0: Another
2: message we convey The we were only here to entertain
0: A rebellion cut up fit Well, I refuse to be the soundtrack to it We entertain, we're still deep in shit Well, there's something wrong inside fucking more.
1: Right, I think we are now live. Hello, everyone, and uh, thanks for joining us. My name is Liam Bird, and I'm the presenter of the Punks in Pubs podcast. Um, I was meant to be on stage at the world famous Hundred Club um, today at this time. Um, I think people should have been coming down the stairs and packing into the uh, the world famous venue, but obviously because of COVID, this isn't happening. Uh, the idea was that uh, myself. And um, some of the panelists that we have today were going to be on stage and we were going to talk about um, how basically uh, the the money that we were going to raise on that on that evening was going to go towards um, helping uh, create unions and to support garment workers uh, in the future um, so that they can have better working conditions and and, and try and fight for a better wage. Um, Unfortunately, obviously, COVID has put a stop to that. But we have to remember uh, that this is affecting not just um, the music industry uh, who the panelists are from today um, it's affecting uh, the many thousands uh, hundreds of thousands of of workers who um, would have been um, at work creating clothing um, for 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 basically the world. So just to give you an idea there's thousands of factory closures just in um, Bangladesh alone, uh, laying off millions of uh, of of um of workers. Uh, this has seen workers from the garment industry go unpaid uh, because westerns brands like Primark and matterland have cancelled their contracts and some brands are also refusing uh to pay for their own um for the supplies that have already put the orders in. So uh it, we felt it was important that we still had this conversation, even though um, everyone 's kind of in lockdown at the moment um, so punk ethics has uh, who who are the co op who have put together punks against sweatshops uh, have bought um, a selection of people who were going to be on the stage with me uh, also some who couldn 't make it on the day unfortunately but thankfully can make it today uh, to come together and we 're going to have a chat um, uh, for the next couple of hours uh, we're going to talk about uh supply of where we get our merch um also how um, the actions that we do can have a lasting effect on the uh, garment workers who are uh, who are creating our band merch um we're also going to touch on covid19 and how it's also affected the music industry as a whole as well as the um uh, the garment workers so i know it sounds quite heavy um But hopefully this will be fun. Um, There are going to be subject matters that um, you might not know that much about. So I'm hoping that we can all kind of educate and enlighten ourselves today uh, with what we're going to talk about. Um, So just very quickly, I want to introduce the panel. So if the panel could be ready to unmute themselves when I say your name, just so you can say hello and just say how you are, essentially. So I'm going to start with Janie. Um, How are you? I hope you're well hi, hey Joni. Hi,
3: yeah, I'm janie from dream Nows. um i am I'm very well, thank you
1: perfect. I know where Janie is. there's a massive thunderstorm happening, so if you hear some clattering of lightning or whatever, uh Jenny's not moving furniture, so uh hello, Janie. uh, let's go to George.
4: How are you, George? I'm doing well, thanks for having me. I can hear you all loud and clear, and I think this'll work good, perfect.
1: Uh, Steve we're coming to you next mate. How are you pal? I hope you're well. There you go. Yeah. I, I can hear you yeah. Steve.
0: Yeah, fine as a fiddler's mate. Yeah, you good? Y- yeah, doing all right. Doing good. All right.
1: I, I see you've already got a beer on the go so uh yeah.
0: you're happy mate. I know that's good. Mate, fucking brilliant. It's Saturday night. What what more could you and a, there's a thunderstorm going on. Fucking brilliant. Ren coming to you next. How are you?
5: Hey, I am uh, I'm all right. I'm uh I'm this is Ren from Petrol Girls um in Graz in Austria. Hello
1: hello <laughs> Uh Alan Gareth who are together um, half of Evil Hour in Evil Hour sorry
2: how are you both alright all right. Yeah, yeah we're fine yeah
6: we're doing good we're in uh, in Darlington sunny Darlington in the northeast of England the only
2: time we've had sun and London's had a thunderstorm
7: so
1: <laughs> let's not start in a London centric ranting straight away how we get all the weather all the time fucking Londoners uh, and then we're gonna go to Deke how are you, Deke?
7: Hi, Liam. Um, I'm good, thanks. Uh, no thunderstorms here in sunny Helsinki.
1: Is that where you are? I, see, my, my, my ignorance was like, oh, Deke is definitely up in Scotland.
7: Yeah, not in Scotland. No. No. I suspect it's pouring with rain there, probably. But...
1: Um, so I, we just kind of touched on COVID a little bit, so I'm just going to quickly touch on that. I know, Steve, you were meant to go on a tour, right? Um, just as like, kind of all this kicked off i mean how how are you how are you like are you kind of missing being on stage at the moment
0: yeah absolutely i mean at first i thought um it wouldn't really affect me that much because um the more i can get out with driving down motorways and you know or getting on aeroplanes and all that sort of crap the better um but uh i must admit i've got such issue feet at the moment um and it's not um yeah i just want to get out of here and do it it's you know, and I think all of the bands, feel like that, um, have spoken to them on, on this Zoom sort of thing. Um and yeah, we're doing okay. Everyone's doing okay. But it's this bloody restriction, you know, and, and it's like ah, when's it gonna stop? You know, I want it, I just wanna crack on now. Mm. Um obviously we can't, but um yeah, it's just a thing you've got to deal with, isn't it?
1: Ren um, did Ren, did you say you're in Austria?
5: Yeah, um I live in Austria.
1: So how is it in Austria? Like uh, like is it is, I'm I'm guessing it's better than what's going on here.
5: Actually, I have to say that um, yeah, it scares me a bit how bad it is in the UK because we locked down like two weeks before the UK did here, and now like I'm back working in the bar. Um, it's like we from the 15th we won't even be using masks anymore. There's less than five, uh, less than 400 cases left here, um, and I, I don't know. I think that is a result of how differently the whole thing was handled, um, and uh, yeah, just sort of think it's worth saying it could have been very fucking different in the uk and the us so um, so
1: for for you then are, are there any like talk of opening up venues so you so, says like people can play
5: uh i don't understand german very well so i don't <laughs> really know um what's going on on the news um uh but yeah that's um yeah i don't know it doesn't feel like a priority to me at the moment
4: yeah so.
1: yeah and, Jordan, and, and are, are you in the States, mate? Is that is that where you are right now?
4: No. Uh, um, I'm from Winnipeg, Treaty 1 territory, uh, homeland of the Métis Nation here in Manitoba, Canada. And, uh, yeah, we're just laying low. Uh, things are starting to open up here, but we're not uh, – I, I don't think we're going to get a to go out and play live. Uh, I think we're going to let uh, other Guinea pigs take the first stab at that. And, uh, we'll see kind of th- how things progress for a while before we, uh, we jump in. But, uh, yeah, some of the offers that have come our way don't seem too appealing, like playing uh drive-in shows to a few hundred, uh, carloads of people and that sort of thing. So we're, we're just taking a, a polite pass on, uh, live engagements, uh, for the next little while uh, some of our stuff got uh postponed till next uh next may we we're supposed to play uh in the u.s but uh and in canada but we're uh we're just putting it off for a year minimum and uh we'll see what happens in the meantime i was uh, you know keeping uh you know our own health and uh public health in mind i think first uh we're, we're not too itchy to get out there at the moment
1: Um, So, I think it's proper and right, before we get on to our main topic, that is a Punks Against Sweatshop campaign, that we kind of lead with this question. So today, uh, and for the last few weeks, we've seen millions of people uh, out in the street today protesting uh, against police brutality and social injustice against um, black communities globally. Uh, I like to think that all of us on this panel um, support the protests and the movement uh, that the protesters are fighting for, but... I mean, is that good enough now? I mean, we're all an all-white panellist right now. Um, I think that's quite obvious. And we're all going to be talking about a subject matter that is predominantly affecting a, a non-white workforce because a predominant white punk scene um, have kind of had this, uh, the want to have this merch. And, and, and so therefore, I suppose, we, are, we have a, a huge part of responsibility of what's happening there. And so, and we're talking, I suppose, for the punk scene right now. Um, So I suppose my question is, should we be doing more to look at how our community, uh, the punk community, can possibly um, uh, support the black voices that are are maybe being drowned out right now? And um, what can we do to kind of do more of the heavy lifting to to promote uh, and, and project a more multicultural voice within the punk community? um jenny do you want
3: to jump in on that yeah i just wanted to say thanks i'm glad that you've named that this is an all-white panel and i think the fact that this has been organized as an all-white panel and we are all complicit in that as participants is an indication that actually we are not doing as well as we could be in our proactive anti-racist work and i think it's really important that we just acknowledge that um from the beginning and i think you know this is something to be of us when we accept panel invitations going forward and for the punks against sweatshops campaign more broadly that we look around and think okay who's in the room and who's not in the room and why is that um so i'm glad this was named and i think to answer your question we're not doing
1: oh someone's muted jenny i think you i think you muted yourself
3: oh yeah i'm done
1: oh sorry sorry apologies Um, Would would anyone else like to um, jump in on this subject matter? Uh, Ren?
5: Sorry, I put, I pressed, I raised my hand instead of pressing the button. Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, I think um, like, yeah, this is a predominant, like the punk community is very white, but people of colour have always been part of punk rock um, and they've been there from the very beginning and um, many of the seminal like bands at the start involve people of colour I'm thinking X-ray specs, polystyrene, etc. And there are a lot of incredible bands with people like people of colour in them, or that are predominantly people of colour um, in the scenes today, such as The Tuts, Big Joni, Screaming Tone. Out, um, they're here. Um, we should be listening to them, um, supporting them, um, buying their merch, um, getting them onto lineups and tours. Um, and yeah, like. In in the same way that with gender stuff, I think for like quite a few years now, we've been looking around at gigs and going like, hmm, another all male lineup, slow clap kind of thing. We need to be starting to do the same about race, is what I would say on that within punk.
1: I I, and and I'm like, I'll even say within like podcasting community as well. Like for me in particular, with punks and pubs, I, I think that for me, I need to be doing a lot more to kind of introduce uh, myself to, to, to more um, black-led uh, punk bands because I think that's something that I haven't done enough of and it's something that I think I need to be doing more of uh, moving forward. Um, so, so yeah, I, essentially more can be done and I suppose it's, it's a lot more listening as well. Um, I mean, that's my point of view. I don't know if anyone else wants to jump in. Ren?
5: Sorry. Um, just wanted to also shout out Decolonize Fest, um, which is a festival that happens every year in London um, that platforms um, people of colour in bands. Um, really, really amazing organisation to check out.
1: Do you, do you know where people can find that?
5: If you just look up Decolonize Fest on Facebook, um, some of the members of Big Joni were involved in founding it um, and it's a really, really great festival. It's music, but there's also... Um, talks and panel discussions um, yeah, decolonize first.
1: Cool. Uh, Janie? Um... Yeah, just
5: to take see...
3: our positionality it's important for us to reflect on and mean to reflect on the world that, you know, we're all from the global north and we're all in the global north at the moment and I think, you know, sweatshops are an issue. Yes, they exist in the UK, they exist in Europe. I'm sure they exist in the US as well, but the ones that you know No Sweat is particularly active with is the sweatshops in Bangladesh, and I think it's really important to acknowledge as well that like we could have organisers here from Aporageo um, and we could be speaking to people who are like doing that grassroots organising on the ground, um, and maybe that's something that we could do next time.
1: So I think there's a lot more that we can and probably needs to be said on the subject matter, but I would like to move on to the main subject of this Q&A, and, that's the, and, and that's, that is that's sweatshops. So the idea of, of touring seems so far, like, long away. I, I know Ren and Jordan have kind of touched on the fact that they're in no rush to get out there. So I'm guessing um, bands and artists are kind of going to start leaning onto their merch, in particular T-shirts, to generate income. Um, so this is obviously going to put in uh, orders for tens of thousands of new T-shirts or, or different kind of merch that could possibly be heading its way to to factories that run sweatshops. Um, Alan Gareth, I'm going to come to you with this um, because some people might not know that you're both union reps. Uh, and so I'm hoping you can answer this question um, a little bit better than what I mean a majority of us can um so a lot of people kind of think about sweatshops and they think about it probably from what they've seen in movies or or something like that can you tell us exactly what the definition of an actual sweatshop is
2: oh um
6: well, uh, well i mean i can't really say uh, yeah, is necessarily I mean, our expert um, yeah. <laughs> um
2: well, the trade unionists, I, th- I, I mean, I could I could give you a vague shot. I mean, sweatshops are usually a place where people and workers are exploited. I know in the, the predominant sense, I think it's predominantly um, uh, people who are non-white, usually women, and often children, particularly in the past in the garment and electronics industry, where there are limited, if any, protections, usually dangerous places to work where there's very little regulation. I mean, I don't know if that's... Hitting the nail on the head there, because I wouldn't say whilst I'm a trade unionist, it's not my area of expertise. So yeah, that all- <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I
1: I just thought it's like as as uni- like as, as trade union members, because mm-hmm. I think people might think that sweatshops are very much a um, a South a- like East Asia kind of uh, thing that's happening, but obviously there's a huge garment oh, industry yeah. in Leicester. I'm-
6: Mm-hmm. Well, that's it. And in a sense, it's not always that kind of classic, um, you know, view that people have of like sort of the third world sweatshop. That it's very, you know, it's it, it's happening here and it's happening in the country. And yeah, and I suppose it is. It's it's, it's basically you know low paid, unsafe working conditions where people are not given the option to, um, you know,
2: put forward. And it's vulnerable people, isn't it? Who yeah. are often put in that position, you know, in terms of like so, like
6: asylum seekers, refugees. Um,
2: Yeah, But I mean, it's not, it's weird, it's one of those things, because we always think, and particularly you face with trade unions, whether it's like what would traditionally be, I guess, blue-collar or white-collar jobs, that people think, because in the UK we've got a fairly broad selection of employment law, a lot of it coming from the EU, that protects people that these things don't happen, and they do. I mean, you can look at even in public institutions during the COVID crisis, we know that predominantly in places like care homes, which are low-paid, insecure work, um, predominantly often have uh, BME and migrant workers in them in insecure, unsafe jobs. We know people in, from like the BME backgrounds are vastly higher at risk of contracting COVID and um, from dying from it, and yet they're not being provided with PPE. They're being allowed to be essentially exploited in what is public work. So it's, it's not a huge leap, to get from that when that's on the news every day and the government doesn't isn't compelled to take action on it mm-hmm. to the fact that there will be people who exploit people even worse in the UK because it's a spectrum and whilst sweatshops as we commonly understand them are kind of the, the worst uh, or Most one of the example, worst examples or, of that. Sort
6: of a lightning rod example but it's kind of, it's, it's also the sort of vulnerable financial position that a lot of uh, people from BME backgrounds may be in or unaccompanied asylum seekers that kind of thing you know people um i think the asylum seeker um budget you know per week asylum seekers will receive um about 50 pounds a week to live on you know and, and and that's it and that has to cover everything you're not allowed to engage in um legal employment until you've got leave to remain so often the only option that people have to supplement their income in is with unscrupulous employers um you know, and people are open to exploitation. They don't have the same choices. You know.
1: Yeah. um Steve, you've been in the, the like the world of music for nearly forty plus years. I don't want to age you. um Has the subject matter of uh, where bands source their merch ever come up when you've been touring? Like, is it an issue that you that you've heard? um Like, was it more right? Was it more of a kind of a conversational topic? in in the 80s the 90s or or do you think it's even a conversation topic now like is it something that people talk about
0: no not really i mean for me it was um it was one of those things when jay got in touch uh and i was like for fuck's sake why didn't i think of that <laughs> it was just one of those things to pass by and i was like of course you know he's like duh idiot um and of course once it you know um, it was, you know, explained to me, I said, of course we should have been doing that. I mean, you know, Christ, I used to stay, you know, go out with a mate, a uh, biker Dave, um, and, uh, used to stay at his, his, flat at, uh, um, down there Mile End. And one Sunday morning, dreadful hangover, and there was this sound like a 30 fucking drills going on above my head. Um, and it was obviously, um, industrial sewing machines in a flat in my land and I went what's that and he went I was from the same she'd make you t-shirts from Primark mate I went you're fucking joking he went no seriously they, they do it so he goes on all over the place. Um, but um, yeah that's, that's for me that's what it was it's like a, a bloody hell it's just one of those things that pass you by until it's, you're made aware of it and I think that's the whole point of this thing with, with no sweat um, it's not saying to people you must do this or you're a bastard no it's like look If you, you know, you you can do this and if you just do one T-shirt of it, make people aware first and then they can make their own decisions and sort of move on from that. And I think that's the the wonderful thing about this thing that we've got going.
7: Deke, um, what about yourself, pal? Yeah, I'd just like to echo a lot of what Steve said. I mean, I think we're probably fairly typical for a, a touring DIY punk band. And I'd have to say that for years... The main thing that we thought about when we were getting T-shirts done, I mean, initially, we actually used to say to people, if you want, if you want an old poloi T-shirt, make one yourself. Um, you know, the, the whole kind of DIY spirit taken to the extreme. But obviously what's happened in recent years is that as sales of hard copies of music have dropped drastically, bands who rely on getting a bit of income um, to enable them to tour I think there's a lot of bands that are in this situation where you can just about afford to go to go on tour, but you're watching the pennies all the time, and you're only like one massive traffic jam that makes you miss a gig away from losing a lot of money and If you're not independently wealthy, you can't afford to you know to pay out your own pockets. You use merch sales to enable you to tour, and when people aren't buying as many records. Um, they're not buying as many CDs, T-shirts and hoodies and so on have become more and more important. But what we always used to think was, right, we will get these sourced, not from a big company, but we're talking about the printing, we'll get DIY punks to do some DIY printing for us. And that was pretty much what we did for years. It was mates of ours who were involved in the, the political DIY scene. And basically this subject virtually never came up. Um, I think occasionally people might have said things like, oh, it'd be a nice idea, but it'd be too expensive. Punks aren't going to pay 20 quid for a T-shirt. Now, I think this is where what No Sweat are doing is so positive because it's completely changed that. You know, now any bands can get T-shirts from No Sweat and it still enables them to make a little bit of money to help to help fund the tour and the people that print the t-shirts as well. So if there's any people in bands watching this, um, I would encourage you to go on the No Sweat website. And, uh, you know, if anyone needs hints of um, people that are going to print your t-shirts, we can give you addresses as well, people that, that print on the No Sweat ones, because I think it makes, a, it makes a massive difference. And if you, I would like to think we all here probably like to think that the medium is the message with what we're doing. And if you've got your T-shirt that says, you know, down with capitalism, and you're, it's it's printed on something from a sweatshop, you know, it's the complete antithesis of everything we're preaching. So uh, I think now it's great that there is actually something that is within all our hands, you know, to make it to make a positive difference. So I would encourage everyone, like I say, to uh, to get your T-shirts from No Sweat.
1: So, George, actually, I'm going to jump to you now, mate, because. Um, kind of, kind of what Deek's talking about. It kind of, it, it does kind of rely on um, the, the bands who are touring and and going on the road. And I, I, I would probably guess Propagandy kind of tours with some of the bigger bands of of the punk industry. So, I mean, what 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 can the bigger established bands be doing to to make sure that they are kind of pulling their weight, really? And and do you think there's even an appetite for that?
4: Well, I'm I'm not too sure. Actually, we don't, we don't usually, uh, you know, we're up here in Winnipeg. We're not down in LA. Uh, we're not really hanging out with too many of our contemporaries in the music world or even really staying in touch with them a lot of the time. So I can't really comment too much on, uh, what the other bands are doing out there. Occasionally when we're on tour, I go around to merch tables just out of curiosity to see what, uh, where, where other bands are sourcing their stuff. And, uh, oftentimes I'm kind of a little frustrated, especially at the, the larger, uh, festivals that, uh, you know, some, you know, understanding a little bit about the economy of some of these things and, and the, uh, the kind of wage gap of people at the top to the bottom, uh, in the music world, it, it kind of, uh, it's a little astounding to see some people kind of rely on, uh, you know, low wage garments and that kind of stuff to maximize profit. And and that, it kind of gets in in the way of, you know, how I became, uh, you know, into punk music myself in the later 80s, early 90s and that kind of stuff. And uh, it, it didn't seem like the music scene back then before things exploded in, you know, the commercial realm that maximization of profit was, was really part of any of the considerations at all. And now, uh, you really just see kind of, you know, uh, it makes me think that a lot of, uh, agents and groups and, uh, labels are, 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 uh, you know, really trying to make as much as possible, to squeeze. As much as possible and I think, you know, when you, uh, you know, when we start to think of stuff from Guild and Activewear here in Canada back when uh, uh, when they used to manufacture stuff here in Canada. And uh, just to uh, contribute to what Pete said there a little bit earlier, I went through a bunch of my old t-shirts, Set out a couple of the records. Randy from Sweden. Here is the Fight Capitalism t-shirt. Randy. One of the last made in Canada Gildan tags that you'll probably ever see because they moved completely offshore. Yeah, it, it seems kind of hollow when you you know start putting stuff uh, with with certain slogans and that on on stuff that's uh, you know basically uh, you know been produced with with uh, sweat labor and that kind of stuff. So for for us many, many years ago, like in the, in the late nineties, early two thousands, you know, like the, uh, the, uh, anti-globalization protests were really, really happening in the late nineties. And I think at that time when we started our record label and were tasked with, uh, sourcing t-shirts for other bands outside of ourselves, we, we, uh, became a little more aware of, you know, sweatshop conditions and as Gildan, slowly closed all of their, uh, Canadian, uh, uh, shops, all of the manufacturing ended up going offshore, like a hundred percent of it. The only offices they have up here are administrative. And it's, uh, um, we, anyway, we, we sort of became a little more aware of, of that company in specific and how they were, uh, like the reasons for getting offshore. And, uh, and you have to ask yourself, you know, like, like I think that this whole like bands on tour using, uh, t-shirts and that kind of stuff is, as, as, uh, as the means to supplement your income when you're make hardly making anything at all. And it's, uh, you're spending money to go out on the road in the early days and that kind of stuff, you know, you don't, you don't want to, uh, you don't want to use sweat labor and then you become, you, you become aware of the conditions that say gildan is is leaving canada for union union made shops uh minimum wage is being paid here and they want to go to places such as haiti that is we're, we're going under a, a lot of uh unrest at the time and it, it's just really uh it, it's sickening you know like when you when you think of elected governments in in the say Haiti or Honduras coming uh, coming into power on the basis of increasing minimum wage or doubling a minimum wage which is you know uh, at that time in the late 90s people making maybe a dollar two dollars a day us to make t-shirts and they're asking to simply you know double that minimum wage to make you know between two and three dollars a day instead of one dollar a day and then that that government is sent packing you know they're with with active uh, intervention from the U.S. and Canadian governments to keep those workers down so that companies like Gildan can come in and, you know, use that hyper-exploitative model to grind out as much as they possibly can. And these are workforces, you know, women of colour pretty much making all these garments. There's no overtime pay. There's no maternity pay at all. No vacation pay. none of these things matter at all you, you people are required to work 11, 12 hour days for a couple of dollars a day and then when um people are organizing in those countries, they basically get uh you know pushed back and and like all the Canadian trade associations and all that kind of stuff it's like they they don't care about Canadian businesses paying their fair share of taxes in these countries. The goal is to eliminate all the taxes and all the tariffs so that all those profits can go to the bank accounts of white investors and the white management class at the expense of workers of color who are making the damn things to begin with. So, I I mean, we, as Gildan went offshore completely, we stopped using their, their stuff and, you know, we, we started using other, uh, other, uh, union made, uh, products from uh, the U S primarily back in those days. And um, I don't know, like I, it just seems, I, I think when the figures come out, it just seems absurd to anybody, I think in England or the U S or Canada or in Europe to, to when you're, when you're forced to acknowledge the difference in pay between the people at the top and the bottom, Like I just saw that the, the, the Haitian minimum wage is slowly, slowly increased over the years. Um, I mean, there, there was a a study a few years ago, the AFL CIO solidarity center, which is, I mean, a union that probably a lot of people have problems with for good reason, but they, they came up with a livable wage for people in Haiti as being about $23 a day, which was about four times their, uh, their their uh minimum wage and the best that their unions could ask for reasonably was an increase of about eight dollars u.s a day the management of, of these merch companies and or gildan and and their their associates they wanted an increase of about 50 cents a day and that's pretty much what happened keeping those wages right right down to the bottom and when uh when you calculate it now, the person at the very top of the Gildan pay scale makes 572,000 times per day what a person makes on the shop floor. And that that's assuming that these people actually get their minimum wage. There's a lot of accusations that many of these companies don't even pay that. And then when they create free trade zones that cross borders and get into this you know, messy territory of uh, kind of denationalizing or uh, infringing on the sovereignty of of people's labor, like domestic labor law and stuff like that. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are working uh, under the table. They're not really officially, you know, members of any unions and, and whether they're even getting paid the minimum is highly questionable. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just gross. And I think that, uh, especially with the offshore sweatshops, it's definitely, uh, like if, if we want to ter- talk in terms of, uh, structural racism or systemic racism, this is, uh, where we're at, uh, at this point in 2020, after, you know, centuries of, you know, hit the history of colonization and imperialism leading us to this point, this hyper exploitation and, uh, it's it it every time it seems like um, there's a local initiative or a regional economic block to for some of these countries to join uh, say the uh, the Bolivarian Alliance of the Americas. Many years ago, a lot of these countries were joining that, and Canada and the us. got in the way of that saying, "No, our model's better. You stay away from that. You pay attention to the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. And just keep those wages low so that uh, capital, you know, there's always the threat that capital is going to leave the country and flee if if wages and worker conditions increase. And and that kind of race to the bottom logic is what we are dealing with in the north. And all the trade representatives and government reps here in Canada want to uh, basically be on that side so that the guildens of the world can make off with their exorbitant profits. So, and I so mean, what, what's to say for, for some of these people to take a slight de- decrease in, in what they're making in the management level so that people have a livable wage? Like a livable wage should be the bare, bare minimum of what we're trying to, to get going here. Um, like this isn't talking about overthrowing the system or anything like that. This is just like a like, literally, a preferential option for the abject poor in the global south.
1: for everyone this is kind of a question but also to you George. when you, when you are doing those rounds and around the merch table and, and you see a band that does have like a guild and t-shirt do do you engage with them and, and try and educate them and why they shouldn't have this or is it something like it's not really my place like i don't know their circumstance i'm just gonna walk away
4: um well at, at that level honestly <laughs> i don't know of how many larger festivals you've been to but it's pretty much uh these are very socially isolated things back in the green rooms. So I honestly <laughs> you you hardly ever really uh commiserate or meet anybody at all. Everybody's in their own little sort of private dwellings and that sort of thing. I've never really gotten into anybody's face in particular, like you know a band coming off stage and getting in their face about it that kind of stuff. I've usually just kind of taken notes you know for myself just out of out of curiosity but that's something, I guess, to, uh, you know, for, you know, down the path to become a little more active and a little more upfront that way. But but to be honest, a lot of bands that uh, we travel with, um, you know, that aren't making a lot of money being on the road or paying, paying out of pocket to be on the road, you know, uh, a lot of people are using sweatshop based stuff because they feel like they can't afford anything else. A lot of the merch that we get is kind of like usually double the cost of a lot of the, the sweatshop stuff. So we essentially absorb that cost ourselves, you know, at the merch table when we're pricing our stuff. And uh, I, I I would just hope that the bands at the top would have a little bit of room. Like if you want to keep all that profit, add a few bucks and charge that to the consumers up here. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's difficult for me to kind of, uh, critique, uh, bands that are, you know, uh, really struggling to get by for, for using, uh, you know, lower, lower wage options for their merch stuff. It's something that I, that I kind of dance around a little bit here and there, but I think it, it's also part of a larger, uh, a larger question that we might get into later, or, you know, for down the path about, uh, you know. With these uh, structures in place and the sweatshops working and that kind of stuff, I don't think anybody necessarily wants to pull the plug completely and organize absolute boycotts in these countries because many of those workers down there are unfortunately completely dependent on these shops for bringing in the little that they have. Yeah. And if you take that away, then you're looking at, at starvation and issues like of of that matter. So it's, it's really kind of complex. I like to think that, we can generally um, be unified in, in demanding livable wages for people in sweatshops and things start to slowly rise. But uh, I guess that all remains to be seen. We're
1: going to come to that in a second. Uh, Janie, um, I, kn- I know you wanted to come in.
3: Yeah, George, I just wanted to speak to your point as I, like, I'm like. i from a feminist punk band, like DIY punk band. So we're kind of very much at the bottom end of the like music industry kind of hierarchy. Um And I do think it is just a a matter of like political priority and political choice, because for us, like we switched to No Sweat last year and we very much made it as a decision, knowing that it would reduce our profit margins on our merch, which, you know, because of the dire exploitative state of the music industry itself, like bands are basically just surviving by being traveling shops. But we just decided, as a as a DIY feminist punk band, we could not be complicit in the exploitation of women of color in the global south. While we're on stage singing feminist punks, so I think you know if bands are facing that question, like, can we afford it? Like, I think you just got to check yourself and be like,
5: on a human level, how can you afford not to? This is bullshit. Ren. Um, yeah, and I'd add to that, people will pay. People will pay more. Like, we switched to. I, I think we did our first run of shirts ever on gildon because when we first started we were hiring a car to get to shows and like we needed to sell the t-shirts in order to make enough money to be able to get to the show like we've all been there um switched to ethical brands and just up the price and we had a lot of discussions about that because we were like well we want people to be able to afford our merch blah 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 blah, blah. but that's not the priority really is it um and i think another thing that I would say to any like DIY bands or bands that are just starting is we just started making our own patches on scrap material and you wouldn't believe what people will pay for a patch. Um, and they don't really cost you anything to make. And we use that to supplement the difference. Um, so that's a good one if you're new to it but it's the bigger bands that have got to do it like it's these big, like we tour with bigger bands and they're all printing on Gildan like nearly all of them Like, um, and that's where the change needs to happen because then the screen printers will be able to buy in the um, No Sweat or like other sweatshop uh, free brands at like bigger bulk therefore lowering and making it more accessible for DIY bands um but i think it's the people at the top of the chain that we've really got to be pointing the fingers at with that. Uh, Deek,
2: Liam you're muted. Oh, I'm
1: muted. Oh mate, see I'm am I'm doing my own thing that I told everyone else not to do. Deke, uh I you, you wanted to jump in pal.
7: Yeah, I was just um just going to second what both Jamie and and Ren were saying. Um I think people are not just not just willing to pay a little bit more, but they're they're very happy to and uh, I think you can still, I mean, go, goes back to what I was saying earlier about the no sweatshirts. Um, I mean, they're, they're putting them out for about £4.50. So it's still quite possible for bands to make a few quid off them. And audiences are are happy to pay a bit more. And I think it gets the, it gets the word out as well. And going back to what George was saying, yeah, it can be difficult to, you don't want to start going and, and um, having a go with people, as it were, you know, a band that you notice that they're printing on something else. Because I think people tend to become very defensive in a situation like that. But our approach nowadays is to say, hey, have you heard about these these ones? You know, people are look people are happy to, to pay, you know, a couple of euros more, a couple of quid more or whatever. And look, this is where you can get them from, you know. So we tend to take no sweat leaflets and so on with us now and you know we just kind of plug it and the reaction is overwhelmingly supportive we don't we haven't really come across anyone who said oh this is ridiculous people won't pay that money um you know, i think that's not the case anymore joe did
1: you want to jump back in mate? yeah just quick
4: I, I i that's really good to hear that like if people are supportive and you know you you get the word out have pamphlets at the merch table and all that kind of stuff i i think one way to to kind of uh like just a symbolic way of, you know, uh, charge a few bucks extra for for the t-shirt to offset the extra, you know, costs, you know, for the labor and that kind of stuff with non-sweat material. I I think uh, for a lot of people in the crowd that are chugging back beers at a few bucks, a few bucks a purchase to basically just kind of put it out there. Hey, buy a beer for the person who made the shirts you know and, and i think i think more often than not people are are supportive of that kind of thing if it's put out there and they have to consider it sure why not i'm i'm doing well here as a average wage earner here in canada or the us or whatever why not why can't i afford a few extra bucks for that sort of thing people are happy to pay it and i i think i think you're right people are usually quite supportive of it and i, I don't think i've ever come across somebody who's who's argued the other way that, you know, you should you should make your T-shirts uh, cheaper by a few dollars, regardless of where they come from. I don't think I've ever heard of that argument. So, Alan
1: Gareth, we're going to come to you before we move on to the next question.
6: Yeah, I think it was just kind of forward, further on from the point that um, Jordan and Deke were making, really, in that, yeah, we, we, we would never get in people's faces if we were aware that they were kind of using different merch. Um, but I do think, you know, this is, this is one time when, you know, raising awareness actually works directly. You know, we, we talk to people about what we use. We put the flyers on the merch table. We end up with a lot of interest from, you know, people asking us about, you know, or well, what is this company? Um, You know, it, it's a it's a talking point. um, And it's a talking point that kind of raises awareness that, you know, I mean, certainly when we started out, we weren't necessarily, you know, we were like 17, 18. We weren't necessarily aware of kind of the impacts of, of, what we were doing. Um and as we got older and got wiser, um, you know, we found the shirts, we found that they were better quality, and we just sort of absorbed the financial hit that came with that, you know? Um and, you know, so similar to what you were saying, it's like, you know, if somebody's in there paying a fiver for every drink, um, you know, there isn't really any any reason why, you know, the T shirts yeah. couldn't be slightly more expensive. Um yeah.
2: But credit, no sweat, really, because what they've done is they've made it accessible for people. Because usually the arguments I remember it being, and you know, we we should have switched sooner. I was, yeah. I was frankly, I was lazy. You know, I went on the internet and looked for some uh, fair trade stuff, and it, some of the stuff you can find is insanely expensive for small bands to buy in small batches. Yeah, and when
6: we were starting out, it yeah. was kind of we were always having to weigh that up, but but.
2: I probably could have found it if I would looked harder, yeah. and I should have. But No Sweat have put it there for people now, where it is accessible. It isn't exorbitantly more expensive, and you know, it's it's a really good way of engaging people and saying, "Look, we're making this accessible for you. Please join us."
6: And the and the the, the conversations themselves also naturally lead on to kind of discussions about trade unionism and, and joining unions. So it's actually you know it's it's important on a, on several different levels.
1: Steve, Crass were famous for obviously not producing merch and just kind of handing out stencils for, for yes. supporters of the bands to kind of do it themselves. Was that because you didn't want to go down the, the sweatshop and, and, and merch route, like trying to find a, an ethical merch? Or was it a case that in the 80s, it was just a lot harder, really, to, to mass-produce T-shirts? Well,
0: it, it worked in the 80s, it was the 70s. Seventies. Yeah, well, no I mean, Well, you were not even fucking bowl me. No, it weren't the case of that. You just didn't think it was like. Um, and the whole um, ethic of punk was do it yourself. Mm. So you know, I mean, obviously the crash symbol is that. I, it, I can't draw. The, I can't draw the fucker. I've tried it, but I can't fucking do it. Right? But I've seen people with tattoos. How the fuck do you do? I've seen, I've seen a crop circle. How the fuck do you do that? I can't draw it. So obviously, there's people out there who aren't artistic or whatever. Um, they might be autistic, brilliant, because I'm one of them, um, but uh, not artistic. Um, so uh, what we did was um, look. If you want a t-shirt, if you want a crest t-shirt, we ain't going to print them. Um, first, it was too expensive, uh, or for some, some reason. But secondly, look, take the stencil, and you can change it if you want. You can spray it. You can, and you can spray it anywhere. Um, and, uh, and what I used to like back in the 70s and the, and the early 80s, and Deacon probably agreed with me with this, was that I loved the old graffiti, just people coming out in whatever they wanted. It wasn't this mass-produced thing. It was like, um, it was, um, your identity. Hmm. Um, what you chose to do that day was what you did. Uh, and that's a, a wonderful thing, but, um, and I know what people are say, yeah, but you, now you do crash t-shirts and all this sort of thing. <laughs> Yeah, um, but that's because um, people were buying bootlegs all the time. And I was like, fuck that then. I <laughs> yeah. um, so, but if you want uh, something that's um, done, you know, um, and that's why I instantly joined up with the most uh, no sweat lot um, with Jay, you know, uh, and the bunch, uh, was because it suddenly made sense. It's like, yeah, and um, of course I should have done that. You know, I'm repeating myself about what I said earlier. Um but the people that that should be doing it, if every band in the world does one no sweat T-shirt, right? Just one, because then if it costs more to produce it, and people are oh, fucking buying it, it's two, it's like two quid more. Yeah, um, uh, uh, sorry, sorry, Joel, but you know that that's um, uh, six dollars more or whatever. Um, da, da, da. Um, oh, fucking buying it. Yeah, but just one, just every like Rihanna. Um all the famous people, you know, the big rock and rollers, you know, um, David Bowie, if you were alive, you know, I'm pretty sure that you would go for no sweat. Uh Mark Boland and all those uh, um the Who, um all the all the people Queen, you know, who were left out of Queen, if everyone or put Sir Paul McCartney, Sir John Elton, um Lady Gaga, please just on your stall do one no Sweat T shirt and people will go for it. Yeah. And that's the people we've got to fucking aim for because it's all come down. It, I feel, not, um, I feel sometimes I'm being persecuted. You know, I, you know, I'm being fucking like oh, you should fucking do this thing. When well, I'm trying. What more can I do? What more can I fucking do than the you know to join this thing? And it's not saying to people you can't do that t-shirt, you can't fucking have this thingy. That it's just make people aware, and people go, you know what? I'll buy into
2: All right. It is done in entertainment.
4: Take it as entertainment. So please don't take it any other way. Fuck the bleak's <laughs> reminding. He's telling me I
0: want to say. About the silent nation. But why are you trying as cold I score like a gig of sheets. Drop here and you try, you try, you try, get at me It can't be because there's such a mouth. Then you're a and example And that ain't us to be This is just the symbol But not to you and me Do they owe us a living? Of course I do, of course I do Oh, us a living Of course I do, of course I do i owe us a living Of course I fucking do They don't want me anymore Quit on the floor You just call me sweetly I know what is plaything And I am different Love to bust my head You love to see me come out
1: uh, I, so, so Deke, I mean, um, Steve kind of mentioned, because kind of, you were saying earlier on that you were stencil. You've kind of said someone's a stencil or I'll happily given a stencil. Like, do you think that, especially in punk, where that DIY ethic is kind of in 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 in? I can't even say the right word, basically ingrained into our community. Do you think that's something that we, we probably need to go back to, even like the bigger bands? Look at like kind of stenciling stenciling your own shirts and then put it out yourself.
7: I mean, I'm not really sure that there's, you know, that everyone's going to be, uh, you're going to be getting everyone doing their own t-shirts. There are plenty of people doing their own t-shirts. Um, but as we, we talked about before, it is now a vastly important part of um you know, the economics of being a of being a band. If you're not lucky enough to be independently wealthy, you need you need to sell stuff, um, you know, to to keep on the road. I have seen this is a slightly different thing, but there's a a German band do a rather interesting thing, um, where what they do is they buy back their t-shirts. They basically allow you to rent their t-shirts. And uh, they'll buy them back from you after a few years for a certain amount of the price, and then they'll resell them. They're, it's typical. I forget the name of the band now, um, but I thought that was a really interesting idea. But no, I, I think you know it's great if people do DIY t-shirts, but you're not going to get bands giving giving it up. You know, it's too it's too important part of what um, what bands need to. To keep,
0: to keep financing themselves. Uh, yeah, sorry, Dick. if I can come back. Sorry to the rest of you to pop in like this. I do beg your pardon. But, Deke, I totally agree, agree with you. Um, but what I'm, all I was talking about was, um, no, I don't expect people to do their own, you know, um, obviously, you know, I want to sell T-shirts because that, that, that puts petrol in, in, the, you know, in the car, in a van, you know, for the next gig. So you know how, you know how we all work. Um, that kind of thing. But all I'm saying is that just by making people aware of this thing, that for a, for a couple of quid more, like you would have this T-shirt and it makes you aware of this sort of thing and that sort of moves it on and more people get into it. And it's not telling people you must do this or you mustn't do that. It's just like, try this, try that. you know. Um, so that's all I was saying, Dave. You
1: know? Ren, I'm going to jump to you because – um kind of looking at the other side as well i know you wrote an article i think it was in kerrang where about you you spoke about how uh the, the the sweatshop isn't just an ethical issue it's also a feminist issue because um garment workers are predominantly uh female i mean would you like to just kind of elaborate a little bit more on that uh
5: yeah can do. um so sweatshop workers workers are predominantly women and predominantly women of color um, and I mean, it just, it follows on from what Janie was saying earlier about how it's pretty fucked to be a feminist band and say the sort of shit that we do on stage and not back that up, um, with like thinking about things like where our merch is sourced. Um, I think the issue of sexual harassment and sexual assault is like very prevalent, um, and rife within sweatshops. Um, it's something that we like speak and do a lot about, um, and I think, God, there's just so many different angles to talk about this from, because I think also what I really, what I think I really love about No Sweat is that they are actually listening to and supporting the initiatives that workers are doing in those countries. Because I think um, something that I read um, and then like wrote about was there's a researcher called um Ha T. Pham, who's like really amazing on this stuff. Um, and she pointed out that the fashion media isn't talking about how these garment workers, they're striking all the time, like, really, really militant, powerful, amazing industrial action on a regular basis. Like, I think um, I wrote a a thing about it last year, and I think it was, like, 50,000 were out in Bangladesh on strike. Like, that's amazing numbers, and yet there's nothing about it in the fashion media. And she's arguing that it's because... The garment work is that they don't fit the fashion media's narrative of them as like these tragic victims. Um, And this is something that I think is really important to address from like a feminist perspective. Um, Yeah, what did she say? She said they don't look like the female powerhouses that are the revered subjects of fashion feature stories. Um, But yeah, they're the ones that we need to be um, looking to.
1: I'm going to come back to that issue because, because it's something that I know Janie's written about for The Guardian, but I just want to quickly come to
2: Alan Gareth. I was like, just going to say, I think Wren's like making the big, the most important point there about putting in you know, people's hands their own power. This isn't some... The importance of no sweat is it's not some kind of... I think people... The standard term is the white saviour, the benevolence charity sort of aspect of it. It's about seeing people... What we're going to do is we're going to support you in your union organising and your collective voice and the sustainability of that. Because, I mean, I remember when I first heard of sweatshops, it was probably the 90s, I guess, growing up as a kid, and it was the Nike thing, and the Nike shops and the three pence a day to make Nike. And, you know, I kind of remember vaguely, I might not be right, at the end of that campaign, there was kind of Nike to get some kind of positive media. We're like, oh, well, we put it up to six pence. And it's like regardless of whether that is a bullshit raise anyway, what that does is that then shifts the focus. And, you know, 10 years' time, where are those workers without collective bargaining power? And also, nobody from outside their sphere should be telling them what is an acceptable wage, what is acceptable terms and conditions. That is for them to decide, and it's that sustainability. And I think in terms of the kind of... Uh, just to, to point the sexual violence and the, the threat of violence as well, the people organising in trade unions in countries where there aren't, I mean, there's meant to be labour laws for freedom of association there, but uh, women trade unions, the threats of sexual violence and actual physical assault by company owners, um, and trade unions around the world in, in countries that are more unstable are in prison currently from from wider than just the garment industry, from sort of mining, mining, um, the teachers union president in Iran is injured. So people, you know, companies test out their union busting tactics in the US, Canada and the UK, you know, they, you've seen the Walmart videos of like an Amazon put out to, they say they're fans of unions, but then, and then they take it to an extreme in countries where they know they can get away with it. And I think, you know, it's really important point of Sweat's work is that side of things that they're doing. i, I...
1: By the way, if people want to know more about no sweat, I think there's some stuff going in in the, in the chat board to, in, on the Facebook account. So uh, make sure you check that out in case you don't know what no sweat's about. Uh, Janie, I'm going to jump to you because you wrote an article in the Guardian um, that kind of l- that that links the hypocrisy that, that uh, Rem was talking about uh, with feminist slogans being in, um, that were being made in sweatshops. Uh, I know the Spice Girls and um, Beyonce have been accused of doing just that. Uh, I mean what what how how can like our community our punk community kind of put pressure on these behemoths of of uh of of musical stars i mean supposedly britney spears does actually source ethical t-shirts so that's good that britney's doing that but i mean how do we get to like the beyonce's and and the spice girls i i've kind of asked you Janie, to kind of uh um answer a really hard question (laughs) i
3: mean i don't know I don't know. And I don't know if it is something that like comes from us or what the strategy for that would be, because it definitely needs to be like an organised strategy. I do think we're reaching like a global tipping point now, especially this week. Um, but, you know, feminism, since Me Too kind of like just blew the roof off loads of things a couple of years ago. Do you th- feel like there are a lot more mainstream conversations around like feminism Similarly, Black Lives Matter, I think, you know, political education is coming to the fore. And just as anyone wouldn't buy, like, you know, their political education books off Amazon because of the workers' rights, like, why would you buy your feminist slogan T-shirt from a sweatshop? It just doesn't make sense. But I think because of global capitalism, because the disconnect we all live with, we just don't think, we're just not used to thinking about, like, supply chains and like how we are connected to so many people all over the world just through our purchases and how we like choose to live our lives so I just think like there needs to be a broader just shift in like the way that we consume the way that we think as individuals and and as a society and it not being so rapid and consumerist and just like hyperactive but if globally we could all just slow down take a look around and bring our values in line with how we're spending and how we're behaving then naturally the music industry, I would hope, would follow suit and it would become the norm. Um,
1: I I know Jay's kind of listening to this and and looking after the Facebook. If you can put up Ren's and um, Janie's articles that they've written, that'd be great so people can kind of check that out and and know what we're talking about. Um, This is a kind of a question to everyone, uh, and I don't don't know if everyone's going to want to jump on this one, but um, there's going to be people listening to this who might say – I think George kind of touched on it earlier on that sweatshops are horrible, but despite that they 're kind of they 're needed um, like sweatshops are the first step outside of outside of extreme poverty uh, there was a, um, a university of Mich- michigan uh, report that they did that said that sweatshop manufacturings, especially um the ones that produce t shirts uh, for foreign markets are essential tools to to raise people um, out of inc- um, re- really bad uh, e- economic circumstances. So, what what do the panel say to to these people who might have these thoughts that yes, sweatshops are bad, but they're needed? And what about the MIT study? Does anyone um, Ren? Do you want to jump in on that?
5: Um, so, my first thing would be like economic prosperity for who? Um, because I don't think that that economic prosperity is going to be felt by the people working I would question whether economic prosperity is the measure that we should be using given that capitalism is killing the planet, clearly in crisis and not sustainable Um, I would also ask why countries um, like Bangladesh where Aparagia is based are not economically prosperous and what role colonialism has had to play in that is not something i know much about at all but i do know that bangladesh was part of the british empire um and i'm pretty sure there were economic consequences of that like so what are the lasting impacts of colonialism and the uh, why should it end up being like garment workers in bangladesh and other workers in that country that suffer the consequences of trying to change that um I don't think economic prosperity equals a decent life for workers and MIT ultimately are not these workers. Um, and they're the people that we need to be listening to that again, to come back to why I think No Sweat is really great because it's listening to and actively supporting that struggle from like two different directions. But that said, I want to go back to something that um, Minha T. Fam said, um, which is that international and in it, Um, links to something that George was saying earlier, actually, um, because she writes that international boycotts that aren't coordinated with and led by Asian garment workers smack of Western arrogance and can hurt the very people these boycotts are intended to help. These consumer actions can make a tense working environment more stressful, reduce jobs in an already precarious industry, and cripple a major economic lifeline for families and communities. So I think it's like... It's it's a complex thing because I think um, people are economically reliant on sweatshops and labour that they're doing in sweatshops. And that's why we have to be really, really careful to follow their lead in order to figure out how we change it moving forward. Uh, Janie? Yeah
3: Ren's already said it I was just going to say that in any context liberation is always on the terms of the oppressed and solidarity is also on the terms of the oppressed so I think it's impossible for any of us to truly answer that question um without having a garment worker in the room. Yeah
1: yeah, yeah. uh Alan Gareth?
2: I was just going to say yeah I mean it it doesn't have to be all or nothing approach I think you know I was like Ren, Ren was saying about sort of you know it shouldn't be some western-led boycott that just removes it but what we can do is when we've got the option to support things where people are unionizing is pick that option you know it's like using capitalism against them by making the financially viable and a positive one that's getting people's interest the one that supports more workers rights and gives more worker empowerment
1: people listening to this or watching this for them to kind of relate as well i i i know like there's a lot of people who who uh, are in the scene uh, will wear clothing that is synonymous with the punk so so converse for instance is 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 a clothing wear that's the kind of renowned for the punk scene and it's um it's if people don't know it's it's created by it's made by nike but Nike have had their own reports on Converse, for for instance, whereabouts um, they've had many factories that haven't even set their standards of of, of working conditions. So uh, how can people who kind of buy that kind of product, I mean, I mean, for instance, my mobile phone I know has minerals from from the Congo and the laptop that I'm using right now and that all of us are using like has mineral parts whereabouts people have thrown themselves out of windows in China and there's like, Little things to catch them. Like, I mean, can anyone actually really live a a uh, a real ethical lifestyle? And and should we be beating ourselves up if we can't? Like, that's again a question to everyone.
0: No, of course you can't. Of course you, you can't live life avoiding ants on the path. You know, you're going to kill them. So you know, unless you want to be a, a, what are they call James, where they sort of um, put hands into the ground and you know, I can't remember whatever. Uh, of course you can't um but uh um you can't you do the best you can you know as a uh, flux of pink Indianss uh and it, like strive to survive calling supper, causing the up calls suffering impossible and that still stands today you know um and um you know it's 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 difficult for me to to sort of listen to this conversation you know between these people you know, um, because I, I you know i you know i got into punk you know, I was 19 years old, came from a, a working-class background. That doesn't mean nothing, but, you know, there's this new thing called punk, new identity. I want the clothes. I want this. Rip up your clothes. You know, do all this kind of thing. Do it yourself. Brilliant. Fantastic. You know, and now we're talking about all these different things, um, and it's a bit overwhelming, and I think we've got to be careful of that as well because too much uh, information will turn people off. You know, if, if you know... um um, we've got to be very delicate about it, you know, very careful. Just let people in, you know, open a door and then, you know, open the door, let them push it open with their foot and then they can make their own decisions about it, what they want to do. And that's the way forward. Red, it's I'm- not, you You must do this.
1: Ren, I'm going to come to you in two seconds, um, but I, I'm interested, Steve, because do you think Crass are, or, or, well, yourself... With with your oh, um, links to crest. do do you think you're held to a higher standard than most of our punk bands because you have that kind of anti- uh, anarchist like there was that anarchist belief system around around the band? Do you think like you you are if you do something that's kind of more mainstream? Do you think your fans kind of jump on you a lot more than probably um, something like a, another another band? I, I don't know off the top of my head, but oh,
0: yeah, uh, mate. If I if I was to do a song like um, like George Michael did, I'm never going to dance again. Um, I'd be I'd be crucified from the nearest lamppost, but um, <laughs> but uh, you know, but one day I'm going to do it. <laughs> you do it, mate. You do it for all of us. I've got to fucking do it. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Ren, come to you now.
5: Um, I, I just wanted to say with this, um, I think that we just need to move the focus a bit away from um, like individual life choices and more towards supporting collective action. Really, because I think you can get really bogged down in all of these little individual choices. And I think it can become very paralyzing and quite isolating. And I think that perfectionism is like, like quite a toxic issue within like punk, particularly the more political end of it sometimes. Um, And yeah, I just think that collective action is always going to be a lot more valuable than like, you know, having a go at someone for like, a, like an individual choice, shift of focus. I think for me, Al and Gareth? Uh, yeah. I mean,
6: sort of further on from that point, really, and because you know, it, it it is paralyzing when you start thinking about the fact that it's impossible for any, for most of us to kind of live in the West without having some kind of negative global impact somewhere. You know, because as you say, you know, we're all you can give up certain things, but we're all sitting there doing this on technology that is, exists because of sweatshop. You know, so you can throw your mobile phone into the sea and all that kind of thing. But um, and I think there was an earlier question about kind of like the impact of the punk scene as well, because I think we all have to be very mindful um, that the impact of the punk scene in terms of it globally is absolutely minuscule. Um, and I think there's a lot of issues a lot of the time where it's too easy for bands to think that they're doing something just by writing a song or like raising awareness um and there is a personal responsibility around the choices that you make but Ren is is exactly right when it's it's about that kind of collective responsibility you know join a trade union engage politically but most importantly organize outside of the punk scene because in terms of global impact, we ain't doing fuck all, really. You know, and, and we've also got a thing where it's kind of a captive audience of people who all agree with us anyway. You know, generally people enter into the punk scene because they have certain political leanings or, you know, we kind of feel similar ways about the same things. You know, so you sort of preach, even even with what we're doing and, what, and even with this format here, we are essentially preaching to the converted. So it is... A real case of making sure that you organize outside of the punk scene and you know a personal responsibility to do that
1: George, i'm interested to know like if if there's that appetite in canada in particular to to really kind of jump on the ethical source not even just clothing just kind of uh, looking at more kind of the organic side of merchandising is that something that's like really rooted in canada
4: well i think there's uh you know i i'm probably a significant amount of support from people over the years. But, but yeah, like getting back to what we're uh, talking about, uh, you know, in terms of overwhelming people with too much and, you know, just, we don't want to just reduce things down to ethical consumer choices and leave that as the be all and all of our, all of our uh, interactions. Um, But yeah, like without, adding too much to the overwhelming sort of uh nature of 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 these uh these issues like it i i agree we have to view ourselves as being part of the world and humanity and not just you know identifying ourselves as punks uh you know as our as our complete identity we have to uh you know, be involved in other uh, progressive movements and all that kind of stuff. But it it does get very, very complicated. Um, Like there's NGOs up the yin yang here in Canada and elsewhere that talk the talk of progress and they're kind of, you know, walking hand in hand with, with a lot of the, uh, you know, the managerial class and planning for, you know, essentially sustaining this hyper exploitative model and and when you get kids coming out of university and the, you know a lot of people want to do the right thing um i'm thinking back to when uh, the earthquake happened in Haiti and there was so many students and activist groups that wanted to do something to help but all they pretty much did was uh, was sort of curry favor with the status quo more or less and didn't really provide too much of a radical alternative a lot of a lot of the labor groups here in Canada and like they might they might speak towards feminism or that kind of stuff, but you if you follow the, the money trail and who they're funded by and the results of their work, it's not really doing much at all. I mean, in in a lot of cases it entrenches the powers that be with this facade of progressive politics attached to it. And I think that's just another uh you know level of all this stuff that has to be you know, discussed, debated. You know, it's a it's a lot of work w- with that just alone, and so I, I think it's like um, figuring out which organizations are doing real work for real people at the bottom, and and supporting those, and just going on with this on ongoing critique and dialogue, dissecting groups that aren't, uh, you know really doing much more than than lip service to uh, to human rights and that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it's an ongoing battle and it, it always will be. And I don't think that, uh, you know, I, definitely we don't want to reduce it to just, you know, hey, you buy your T-shirt from there, you get a free pass and all this kind of stuff. But I mean, you know, there's so much going on. There's so many negative issues that I think we just need to, fundamentally recognize that um, the people working in jobs uh, in the global south um, it, it is a racist set of relations that we have fundamentally that's what keeps it going that's the history of the last five hundred years in this part of the world is is uh you, you know sort of the the uh, interests of the industrialists and 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 capitalist classes to create uh, a low wage zone in South America, and the Caribbean to basically compete with China, you know, to keep wages that low that, that, uh, you know, investors want to have an alternate that will compete with China. That is, you know, sort of more regionally based, you know, and, and under, uh, the power of, of, of the U S and the United and, uh, Canada. So it's, uh, I mean, it it is a lot to digest. Sometimes I feel like just closing the door on the book and, you know, just kind of, you know, concentrating on other things. But if you're gonna be involved in bands and you're gonna sell merch, it kind of comes with the territory. You gotta, you gotta understand the issues and be able to, uh, you know, respond to the questions.
1: So we're gonna start wrapping up now, but I just want to quickly touch on one point of because there's gonna be people listening to this, and we spoke about. Uh, no sweat. I mean, what else can can people listening to this do to to make sure that they are um, supporting um, uh, people who who are making our merch? To, and I think it was touched on earlier on by um, Alan Gareth that it's not charity; it's kind of um, uh, solidarity, not charity. And and like, I mean, what can what can people listening to this or watching this do, in your opinion, to kind of uh, help support? To to create a more ethical and, and a better a better kind of way of life for, for
0: the people who are making our merch. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, don't fuck about if someone falls over in front of you. Pick them up. If he's your worst enemy, pick them up. Give them recess. Um, I don't know if someone's drowning, pull them out the sea. Um, if someone needs a hug or a cuddle because they're depressed, give them a fucking hug. I don't know if someone needs feeding, give them some fucking food. Um, you know, fuck it. Uh, we're people you know we should look after each other, and that's all you know, and if part of that becomes part of what we've been talking about tonight, uh then that's it you know but uh, don't fuck about you know um forget all the fucking words and all the all the um all the theories and all the stuff we've been talking about you know, and all the all, you know fuck that, no politics people need help, give them fucking help, and that's all there is to it you know we we're human beings and we you know um um We we deserve a life, and that's what we should be working towards. And however small the way you do it, that's the way you fucking do it. But that's it.
1: I should have came to you first, Steve. We could have saved ourselves an hour and a half.
0: How, are you, fuck <laughs> How are you fuck off? How you
1: fuck off? Does anyone else? Does anyone else want to jump in uh before I go to maybe some questions? No. Uh, oh, yep. Go on, Jenny.
6: Oh. uh Oh, sorry. Oh, oh no,
1: it's gone, it's gone crazy at the end.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, I was. I was just going to say, like, you know, we're not just musicians and we're not just in bands. Like, we also probably go to gigs as well and we'll go to the merch table as people wanting to buy merch. And I think we can start those conversations from the other side as well. And I think similarly when we're, like, you know... The union that we're a part of in our normal workplace, if you have day jobs like most DIY musicians will, like, you know, what union you're part of, where does your union source its clothing from? Where does your union source its merch from? Awkward question, but what you know, how does everything stack up in alignment with the values that we have?
1: Alan Gareth, did you want to jump in? Or was that a slip of the hand?
3: Yeah, it
6: was just a really quick from us. I mean, in terms of kind of things that you can actually do. Um because there is there's a real issue at the moment around like kind of charity replacing actual kind of systemic change that is going to improve things. Um, and whilst I definitely agree with what you're saying, Steve, like that we should be helping people when, you know, they need, they need things. There needs to be that kind of systemic change that actually replaces the need for charity at all. Um, and this is really just going to come through like pressure to your MP, joining the political party. Um, and then i mean obviously with a you know with the situation at the moment there has obviously been a lot of kind of people flagellating themselves in public and it's about you know rather than doing that just make the choice and just be better um you know join local agencies like things like stand up to racism and bottom line is join a fucking union you know um Get yourself involved in kind of like the direct action, you know, in within your workplace, you know, because we're all, you know, punk. there's no money in punk. You know, most of us all got jobs as well. Um, and it's about taking that kind of direct action into your local areas and local communities. And if you're more engaged with union work on a personal level, then obviously this, the work of no sweat is going to engage, is going to resonate more with you. And you're going to be able to sort of articulate that more effectively to, to people that you come into contact with. So, yeah, yeah,
0: bottom line is just be better. Yeah, fair enough. Can I just come back uh, quickly? Yeah, I agree with what you said. Um, Yeah, absolutely. But um, the way I was coming from it was that um, uh, if I'm at a gig or something, you know, or, um, you know, a festival, you know, rebellion or something like that, if someone falls over and they need help, I'll give them help. I don't give a fuck who it is. And it's just that's bottom line. We're all people. We need each other and let's help each other out. So all we're talking about tonight is an extension of that. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah, just be
1: better human beings, essentially. Um, Yeah. yeah. Be nice. Be nice. Um, So... We're going to come to the end now, but we are going to do some questions as that's okay with everyone. Um, there's a couple that's come in on the comment section. Uh, but if people have been listening and want to know more about the work that's been done at Punk Ethics, or if you're in a band and um, or a printing company and want to know how you can pledge to only working with uni fact- union factory suppliers. Uh, so Jay is now going to put up some links where you can find a bit more information um, on how to do that. Um, also, uh, Punks Against Sweatshops have done a compilation album with many of the people who are actually on this chat right now as well as many more. It's called Give Sweatshops to the Boot. Um, it, you can find it on Bandcamp and uh, the proceeds for that as well would go towards helping uh, garment workers to unionize uh, again so they can have, so they can fight for better wages and better conditions. So go pick up a digital copy. Again, Jay's going to put up links now on, on the on the Facebook page um, commentary that's going on right now um so i'm just gonna to go to a couple of questions uh one here is by a gentleman called trevor who asks, do we engage with sweatshops um sorry yeah the question is how do we engage with sweatshops to improve workers rights rather than avoid uh, my fear is that we will hurt the ones we're trying to protect does anyone want to jump on that ren you, so you started nodding and i was like I'm, I'm going to ren
5: no i just think it's a really good point i was just sort of nodding along but i think that Yeah, like follow, like, I I mean, I I don't know any other examples besides No Sweat because, like, what is great about No Sweat is that they are buying t-shirts from a workers' cooperative run by ex-sweatshop workers, some of them in operagos, survivors of the Rana Plaza disaster, but at the same time, the profits are also being ploughed back into supporting sweatshop workers' unions, so having an actual impact on people that are working in sweatshops at the moment. Um, that's what that's what impresses me about No Sweat as a campaign and why I've got so much respect for it. Um but, yeah, I'd, I wish I could give sort of more examples, but I can't.
7: Deke? Um, yeah, I just wanted to second what Ren was saying, but also to come back on this argument that some of the sort of cynics raise when they say that if you're not buying from a sweatshop and you're buying from a place like No Sweat Instead, that you're somehow hurting sweatshop workers. Well, that's the exact opposite of the case, because the more people who order from workers' cooperatives, the more the demand is, and they're going to be able to increase in size and take on more workers. So no one is actually getting harmed, but you're, you're significantly improving the prospects of people who are, are in that industry at the moment. So it's, uh, I don't really see that argument as holding much weight at all.
1: Uh- Unless anyone else wants to jump in, I've got another question. Uh, this is a gentleman called Paul. Uh, a question to all. What do you think uh, each of us can do to get more band slash artists uh, involved in the Punk Against Sweatshop cause? I've got a few ideas, but I mean, what would you do as a band to make the movement bigger?
0: Well, make your own fucking t-shirt. There you go. Get, get a sharpie and, and draw on something. I don't know. Fucking hell. I'm not a guru. <laughs> Alan Gareth,
1: I'm coming to you. Uh, uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's
6: just really simple. It, it's just speak to people. I mean, we, you know, it, we obviously play gigs where it is a bit more kind of everyone's in the same same room together. So it's just like having chats with like bands beforehand, making sure that people are aware of it. I mean, I think nearly everybody here has said that they put the kind of flyers on the merch stand and everything like that. And that gen- naturally kind of generates a bit of conversation around it anyway. But it's just making sure that, that bands who are using No Sweat are, are making it obvious they're doing so. And they're talking to people about the fact that they're doing so as well. Um, yeah, perhaps not the most intelligent point,
3: but <laughs> just got to keep talking, you know? Janie? Yeah, you just, you just made the point that I was going to say. Just keep talking about it all the time, relentlessly. Like at every gig we play, we mention it on stage. We talk about it at the merch table. We'll talk about it to other bands. Like... Just And also, I agree with what was said earlier, just like in a kind, informative, like, hey, did you know this kind of way, not a righteous way, because I think righteousness just switches people off and it's not helpful. And I think can sometimes be a bit unkind. So yeah, keeping it kind as well.
1: Well, we're coming up to – we've just come over an hour and a half, so I think it's a good time to wrap up because, obviously, we've taken all your times. Uh, I'd just like to say thank you to everyone, uh, the panellists, who have taken – given up their time to talk and uh, and discuss sometimes quite a difficult issue. Oh, brilliant! Steve. Steve. Go on.
0: Sorry to interrupt
1: you. Did we get paid for this? Oh, yeah, yeah. Talk to Jay. Yeah. Right. Right.
0: Right. Space
1: Uh, would anyone like to just
4: like final word before we before we all jump george um yeah uh just uh further to that last question i think that's somebody you know if you uh if you're up for it and you're going to shows as a fan of bands you know you can always bring those questions up to people at the merch table or to band members themselves hey have you ever heard of no sweat have you ever heard of these options What, what do you think of that maybe you guys would want to uh check that out at, at at some point I think that kind of feedback if people hear it more than once or twice it'll it'll resonate with people and uh like we were saying earlier a lot of people are very uh supportive and happy to support when the issue's there and it's front and center and uh I mean you're talking about a few dollars extra here and there and I, I think that's something that anybody can afford uh you know in Europe and North America for this kind of thing
1: fantastic Ren Steve Deke uh, Al, Gareth, George, Janie thank you so much for your time um, just to let everyone know this will go up as a video on uh, on on YouTube from, from Punk Ethics uh, if people are listening to this who want to sign up um, to Punks Against Sweatshop campaign go to punkethics.com uh, unless anyone else has got anything else to say uh, we'll let everyone join a
6: union join a union <laughs> yeah. find yeah. out what yeah. union is in your workplace and join it And make sure everybody else that you work with joins it as well, because without a collective group of people, it doesn't work. If there's only one person in the union, that's the nature of it. You've got to be together. So join a union.
3: The TUC web for anyone who doesn't know, the TUC website has a really good union finder where you can search in your industry and find
5: the best union. Uh, I hate doing this because this is not the central issue right now. But on behalf of all of the women that are involved in this, um, I'm part of a case. I'm one of the defendants in Solidarity Not Silence. And actually, shout out mm-hmm. to Alan Gareth and to Janie for being absolutely sound in supporting me and the other women that are involved in this. Um, there's a bunch of us being sued for defamation for speaking up about an abuser in the punk community. Um, we got bad news about 48 hours ago. It, like It's a fucking rough ride. It's ruining my late 20s, and it's absolutely fucking up a lot of other women's lives um we need help with our legal costs um so that's another campaign that i would ask you uh to check out and i realize it's not the most sensitive time to be talking about this shit and i feel awkward as fuck about it but we've got to raise those legal costs um please help us out
1: thank you to everyone uh for your time uh and yeah um continue to make sure you're checking out the punk ethics uh social media site so you know what they're doing again check out no sweat yep stay well Stay safe and um, I hope we get to do this actually in real life at the 100 Club uh, in maybe a year's time when humanity is allowed to exist again. Bye bye guys, (laughs) thank you very
5: much. Thank you.